Well, I'm so excited to finish up today what I started last week from Romans chapter 8, where I told you that I think Romans chapter 8 is really a post-it note from God to us. Not because it's insignificant or small, but because he's not really saying anything new that he didn't already say in the first seven chapters of Romans. But what he is doing is reminding us of some amazing truths. That's what a post-it note does, reminds us. But reminding us of some amazing truths in a greatly expanded form. So he is expanding. He's expanding on some things he already said, but doing it in just a gripping, life-changing memorable, marvelous way. And I think that's why Romans chapter 8 is one of the most well-known and well-loved chapters in all of the Bible. And if you're like me, I hope you wouldn't mind hearing this chapter read aloud. Because I think it's one of the best things we could do in worship together as a church family. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand in honor of God's word. Because we stand when we sing and worship God. And I hope you understand that when we finish singing songs, we didn't just finish worshiping. Worship doesn't only happen when you sing. I hope you worship in response to God's word. And so I want you to stand and worship as we read God's word. But now I'm going to say something I've never, ever said before. Don't open your Bible. Or look at your app. I know this is different. I had a couple people in the first service just shake their head no. One of them was was an elder and I just said yes. Because here's what I want you to do today. I want you to pretend you've never heard this before. And that we're a group of Christians like they were in the city of Rome who had gotten this letter from Paul. And there weren't printing presses. There weren't copy machines. There was one copy of this, but word had already trickled out. that when they gathered for worship this week, they had a letter from Paul. And you're hearing this read aloud for the very first time. Either look at me or close your eyes in worship as we worship together through Romans chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh... God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you... Are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. But if Christ 
is in you. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors. Not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if we live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the Spirit of of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. And not only they, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know. That all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things if God is 
for us. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and also furthermore is risen. Who also is even at the right hand of God and makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You may be seated. Oh my goodness, can you, can you imagine hearing that for the very first time? Those truths about your salvation expanded on the hope that it would give in the midst of suffering and they were the hope that it would give in the midst of a political regime the romans that they didn't like the hope that it would give in the midst of circumstances that were troubling from no condemnation in verse 1 to no separation in verse 39 hallelujah what a savior what a god what a gift So what is on God's post-it note that he wants to be stuck on the hearts of every Christian here today? Well, last week I told you there's at least four reminders. There's more, but I've picked out four. Four reminders that God wants to be stuck right on the heart of every believer. And we, we looked at two last week and I said we'd dig into two more today. Let's review. What's the first reminder? Number one, if you're a Christian, you don't fight sin on the same terms anymore. That's what verses 1 to 13 are all about. If you're a Christian, you don't fight sin on the same terms anymore. Do you still sin? Do you still need to fight the good fight? Is it just going to happen for you? Is it let go and let God? No, it's not. But you don't fight on the same... If we're not careful, Satan would love you to think, nothing's changed, I still sin. There's still a fight. I still get knocked down. It's messy. Nothing's changed. Lie. You still sin. You still got to fight. But oh my goodness, you don't fight on the same terms anymore. There have been some radical changes. And he tells us what some of those are. Two things that I told you that are different about your fight now. You fight with a free heart now. There's no condemnation. When you fail, you're not condemned. You don't have to fight with your heart covered over with guilt. And you don't fight to earn God's favor and blessing and pleasure. You don't fight to earn a relationship with him. You have a relationship with him and he has set you free. Every sin you sin has already been paid for by his son on the cross. That's different. 
So you don't have to wallow and roll around and beat yourself up every time you step into sin or stumble into sin. No condemnation. And the other thing that's different is no expectation of keeping the law now. What you couldn't do, he fulfilled and completely did. So the Christian life is not all about a list of rules. It's all about a relationship with Jesus who's alive. You were dead and you had the law screaming at you, do this. Now you're alive and the resurrected Jesus lives in you. And he doesn't say, do this. He says, follow me and I will live through you. I will help you. I am for you, not against you. I'll set up my home in you. So there's a free heart now and you've got a power you didn't have before. It's listed all throughout Romans chapter eight. The spirit, the spirit, the spirit. Praise God, you're not in the Old Testament with the law breathing down your neck, right? They didn't have the spirit. The spirit of God just showed up occasionally for special moments. He lives in you. Say, thank you, Lord. Do you feel it every day? Woo! No, I don't either. Most days I don't feel it at all. That's why you got to read your Bible. The Spirit enables you to think like you never were able to think before. You can have a mind that sees things differently. The Spirit enables you to actually please God now. You could not please God before. Remember we heard it? In the flesh, you can't even please God. Now you can please God. And now you don't just fight in your own strength with a dozen accountability partners screaming at you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. And if you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh, you will live. Free heart, new power. So, still a fight, but you don't fight on the same terms anymore. Secondly, I said the thing that God wants to be stuck on your heart that we tend to forget and Satan lies to you and doesn't want you to remember it is that your spiritual adoption papers, if you're here and you're a Christian, you got some spiritual adoption papers. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you don't have what I'm about to talk about. But you could. You could have it today. If you're a Christian, your spiritual adoption papers always supersede and trump and triumph over your birth certificate. Every one of us has a birth certificate. From birth, Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3, hammered home to us, the birth certificate says, sinner, condemned. It's inescapable, unavoidable. You didn't have to sign up for it. You don't become that. You're born that way. But for every believer who puts their trust in Christ, looks to Christ, cries out to Christ, asks for mercy from Christ, believes that Jesus is the son of God that did what the scriptures say he did, that he died for your sins and rose again victorious. Spiritual adoption papers, you're adopted into God's family and become a child of God with a robe of righteousness, with an inheritance. And you can call him, what? Abba. What's our English word? Daddy. You can be intimate with the God of the universe. You're adopted. That always trumps and triumphs over your birth certificate. All right, that's review. Let's dive into new. What's the third thing I want you to see that God wants to remind us, have it stuck on our hearts? Number three, reminder for every believer, you have spiritual eyes now to see suffering in a whole new light. Now look at me a minute. As soon as I said the word suffering, here's what the Bible doesn't teach. It's not, oh my goodness, as a Christian, you don't suffer. King's kids go first class. Blah, 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 blah. They don't get cancer. They don't lose their jobs. 
They don't get rebellious kids. They don't have struggles in their marriage. They don't have financial disasters. The Bible doesn't teach that. Best-selling Christian books do and seminars, but it's a lie. You read your Bible and he says, I'm not promising you you won't suffer. In fact, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But praise God. What Romans 8 shows us is that for every believer, you now have new eyes and you have the capacity to see your suffering in a whole new light. And what is that new light? You see it in light of eternity. You see it in light of eternity now. It's not just right here, right now, this moment shrunk down. You see it in light of eternity. And you realize that this life is no longer the main attraction. It's not the big show. And it's not your final resting place. There's something else much bigger and better coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. You say, what do you mean, Brad? How would that change the way I go through my suffering now? Well, let me illustrate it for you this way. If you like to attend live concerts of favorite bands, artists, singers, musicians, whatever. If you like that, then surely you've noticed how the promoters and organizers of a concert put this whole thing together from the very beginning. It's thought out. All the posters and the big ads highlight the main attraction, the big name, whether it's Taylor Swift or whoever. Huge letters, big deal. Live in concert, a night you'll never forget, like nothing you've ever seen before, blah, 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 blah. But surely you've noticed this. Then in finer print and a softer voice, if it's an audio commercial, there's always this additional tagline, right? Also, special guest, Amelia, I've never heard of you before in my life. Right? They got to do that. Whatever record company owns the rights to Taylor, they're trying to get some new people going and no one's ever going to pay to go hear them unless they stick them in front of someone people do want to hear. And so when you get there that night and you're jacked up about this person you love, that you know all their songs on your most played playlist on your iPhone or your iPod, you've already been at the tables out in the foyers buying t-shirts and hats and mugs and bracelets and whatever... None of it says, Amelia, I've never heard of you before in my life. It's all the big name. And you get into the main room and the excitement is just, oh. And out comes Amelia, I've never heard of you before in my life. To sing some of her songs. And if you've ever been in those moments, you know, sometimes it can almost be embarrassing. Sometimes the crowd doesn't even stop talking while she tries to sing songs we've never heard. Sometimes they start to boo. And sometimes they start to chant the name of the person they really, really came to see. Hang on. Stay with that. Stay with that analogy. Guess what? That's us right now as Christians in this life. You've got a ticket to the big show. You've got it. It's already been purchased, paid for, guaranteed. But right now, you're in the preliminaries. All of creation and every other person around you right now, these are just the preliminaries. This is not the main attraction. This is not the big show. You're not there yet. It's coming. It's going to blow your mind. 
And the star and the big name is going to be your lover and husband, Jesus Christ, on center stage for all of heaven, through all of eternity, for all of God's people. But right now, it's Amelia. I've never heard of you before in my life. And so I don't, I don't encourage you to do this out loud. But in some moments, some, some of those times in your day, just think to yourself, boo, boo, boo. In this whole office right now, boo. In this whole situation, boo. And begin to chant under your breath, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. New heaven and new earth. No more sickness, no more sorrow, no more brokenness, no more confusion. Jesus, King Jesus, Lord Jesus, King Jesus, it's coming. But right now you are in the preliminaries. This will never be fabulous. You have moments. There's, there's moments, right, that Amelia, I've never heard of you before in life, gets a double, maybe a triple. Every now and then knocks it out of the park. Like, that was good. But it's rare. Every now and then in this life right now, don't you have those moments? But that's what they are, right? Moments where the vacation goes well. No one throws up in the car. No one fights. No one says words that they'll remember for 15 years that are hurtful at every Christmas from now on. Right? But it's moments when you're like, the way we hoped it would turn out and all the planning we did, it did. But in general, right now, it's mostly terrible. (laughs) Now, hang with me. If you say, that's a real bummer, Brad. You're never going to grow this church that way. (laughs) Stick with me. I've got some really good news in the midst of this. Let me change metaphors with you. In the world of accommodations as you travel, this is Motel 6 right now. We got the light on, but that's about it, right? And it's like, even as believers, we're guilty of, we keep looking for the suggestion card. Surely they want to know. Surely God wants to know how bad this is. Surely I can tell somebody, man, you ought to go ahead and there's other amenities that I want. This could be better. This is so wrong. It's Motel 6. And God's word tells us it's never going to be Homewood Suites, the Hyatt, the Hilton. But here's the good news. Jesus shows up in Motel 6. Say, thank you, Lord. Jesus doesn't think he's so good that he can't stoop into Motel 6. That's what the incarnation is about. He laid aside his glories, his pleasures, his delight, his bliss, and stepped into our Motel 6 world. And he'll meet you there right now. That's not one day, someday coming. He's not too good for Motel 6 and he will meet you in the very middle of your Motel 6 life. He'll meet you there. He lives in you. He'll help you through Motel 6 days. You are not on your own alone. He knows. You can't ever say, does he know how bad this is? Does he know what this feels like? Can he relate it all to what I'm going through? You don't have to ever ask that question. Read the gospels. He does, he does, he does. And if you're a Christian, he lives with you, in you right now. There's no other religion like that. There's no other ism or sect or anything out there like that. 
Islam does not have this to offer to anyone. This is a God who lays aside his glories and comforts and comes into our world and meets us there and lives in us now in the midst of the brokenness. You say, Brad, okay, I'm feeling better. You're helping me right now. But here's what happens, Brad. I go back out there, I get hit in the face by life and I lose this moment. I'm getting this perspective. How do I get this perspective and putting life in the perspective of eternity? And when I get it, how do I keep it? How do I keep it once I've got it? You ready? I'm going to tell you, you're going to say, oh my word. How, how do I get this perspective? And once I get it, how do I keep it? You've got to read this. You've got to read this. That's why we're doing what we're doing in this series. That's why we preach and teach through books like Romans. That's why we're taking so much time with Romans 8. This is how you get that perspective. Some of you are watching the news for hours on end, reading news articles, surfing the internet to just be pummeled with how bad it is, how bad it is, how bad it is, how bad it is. How much do you need to know about how bad it is? I'm not advocating sticking your head in the sand, but I've pretty much concluded it's bad. (laughs) Economy's bad. The agenda of what's going on in the world is scary bad. It it seems to be very unbiblical. It's bad. Somebody let me know when that changes. But until then, I'm going to do more of this than watching the news and reading news blogs and getting all uptight. And you will be depressed or angry or both. I need more of this than I need CNN news. And so do you. You say, Brad, how do I get a perspective that... Oh yeah, this is just the preliminaries. This is not the main show. It's coming. It's going to be okay. You better be reading this. You better be reading Romans 8, chewing on Romans 8, dare I say, memorizing some of Romans 8 so that Romans 8 begins to intersect with your Motel 6 moments right on that job, right in that home, right in that trouble, right with that doctor's visit when he tells you what he tells you. I got to have this. You've got to have this. And see, God knows something about us. Here's what he's doing in Romans 8. He's giving you the right measuring stick for determining how bad things are in your life. That's really what Romans 8 is. It's a measuring stick to determine how bad things are in your life. Because our problem is, even as Christians, we tend to pick up the wrong measuring stick. And the world pushes us and people, I won't name him, but writes books like your best life now. And tells you what it's supposed to be like. And you look at your life and say, my life is not like that. Ooh, bummer. Wrong measuring stick. Big lie. And we compare ourselves to each other. He gives us the measuring stick. Look at it in verse 18. Verse 18 of Romans 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which is to be revealed in us. Here's the two deals on that measuring stick. Eternity and the glory to come. Eternity and the glory to come are the right measuring stick. You got to have a grip on that. Oh, I got to have an eternal perspective, not just a finite temporary perspective. And I got to keep glory to come in mind. That's the correct measuring stick. And in fact, God knows this is so hard for us. It's so hard for us to pick it up. And then once we do pick up the right measuring stick to keep it, Because everything else in the world just pulls us to be discontent and measure ourselves by something else, something else, something else, something else. That this is not the only place he gives us that measuring stick. 
you read your Bible, you'll see it all throughout the scriptures. But let me show you one other that says it exactly the same way. That says the measuring stick for your suffering right now should be eternity and the glory to come. Keep your place in Romans 8 because we're coming back. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. What is this measuring stick that I got to have if I'm going to persevere through trials and suffering and difficulties with the right attitude and not give up and lose heart? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning of verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Now look at me a minute. I love it. Now that I'm 51, I really love it. It's my life first. Because that word in the Greek right there, perishing, you know what it is literally? Is being disabled. And then how it feels as you get older? I feel like things are being disabled. Things that used to work well are being disabled. I'm running around to doctors all the time now. I just can't see. No matter how many times I get new, I just, I can't see like I used to see. My leg doesn't work like I used to. All kinds of things aren't working right. I'm being disabled. Every day a little more disabled. We don't lose heart even though our outward man is being disabled. Yet the inward man is being renewed. How often? Oh, day by day. Day by day. Oh, things may be falling apart with your body, with your finances, with some of your most important relationships, with the world. But I tell you what never ceases to be true. You're being renewed. Being renewed. Being renewed. Day by day. For our light affliction. Now you just go ahead and tuck in there. Whatever your deal is, if it's a rebellious kid, if it's a difficult marriage, if it's a broken relationship, if it's a yucky job, I don't know. But God's word says it's light. You say, how can you say that, Brad? Because he's about to give you the right measuring stick in comparison with eternity and the glory to come. Here's some good news for some of you. If you've got a great marriage, you're going to say, oh, we won't be married in heaven. If it's bad... It doesn't continue in heaven. Hallelujah. You may see them and say, yo, how's it going? Praise God. We're not married. As all that ends in glory. If it's good, Jesus is better and you won't miss it. If it's bad, you set free from that thing. But in the meantime, stay in there. Don't hear me saying do it now. You don't launch now. That's a whole nother message. You stay. We don't lose heart, even though the outward man, for our light affliction, which is but for a, say it, moment. Moment. See, if you're not reading your Bible, you can think, it's not a moment. It's been about 15 years now in this marriage. It's not a moment. It's been like she's 37 years old and I'm still brokenhearted over the choices she's making as my daughter. It doesn't matter what it is. It's a moment in light of eternity. For this light affliction, which is but for a moment. Now get this about this affliction right now is working and we would expect, we think, against us. It's killing me. Awful. I wish this could be removed. Is working, say it. Say it again. Is working for us. See, that's what he's talking about in Romans 8. Same deal. Don't hear him saying the, the thing itself is good. No, no. There's terrible things that happen to people. But God in his sovereignty can use that hard, terrible, sinful thing to work it for good in his children. Is working for us. And then Paul almost cannot find enough words 
to describe what he wants to say next. He packs it with superlatives and descriptors in front of it. Look what he does. It's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen. Let me tell you, when you stay glued to constant news channels and surfing and keeping up with what is just terrible, you're, you're choosing to focus on what is seen, what is seen, what is seen. I want to be an informed Christian, but I only need so much to be informed. I want to be informed and then I want to be saturated with this. Some of you are saturated with the badness and you hardly ever visit this. And you wonder why you're so depressed and it's so difficult to keep moving forward. And you're so afraid and you're so joyless and you never talk to anybody about Jesus. Better switch those things around, my friend. We do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are what? Temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. He just gave you that measuring stick again. Eternity and the glory to come. Eternity and the glory to come. And then he goes on and he tells us something else we have right now to help you through this. He gives you the right measuring stick. And on top of that, he says, you better take advantage of what he's already given you. Praying in the spirit. Praying in the spirit in verse 26 to 28. See, listen to me. Even in the Motel 6 life, God's given you his Holy Spirit that will groan through you on your worst days when you don't even know what to say or what to pray. You can just blubber in his presence. Isn't that encouraging? You know, sometimes when you sit with a friend and you feel like, I don't think I'm communicating this well. I I don't know how to say this. I know I'm not saying this well. And you can tell, I don't think she gets it. I don't think he gets it. I can hardly put into words where I am. Here's some really good news. The Holy Spirit understands it exactly and will take it to the throne of grace and mercy before an almighty God who can do something about it. Say, thank you, Lord. Groan to him. Cry out to him. Sit silent in his presence if you can't even put it into words. But go to your father with the spirit that lives in you. You've got that now in your Motel 6 world and life. You've got it now. Quickly, let me give you a final reminder God wants you to see. Stuck on your heart if you're a Christian. In a world filled with insecurities and uncertainties, and it is. There are all kinds of things that are uncertain. And it seems like more are coming unhinged every day. And we live in a world that gives you many reasons to feel insecure and anxious and worried. No doubt. So what's he do for us? He doesn't doesn't sweep all that off the table. He gives you something that can be your greatest security in the midst of so much that is insecure. He reminds you that, yeah, your marriage, those kids, your finances, your health is not your biggest problem, but he's already solved your biggest problem. As you deal with this marriage, those kids, those finances, that health, you have a measure of relief and security about the biggest problem in your life has already been solved. You're not on your way to hell. You've been forgiven. You are loved. He sings over you. You're an adopted child, son, daughter. You have a robe of righteousness. He reminds you of your greatest security in the midst of a lot of insecurities. And you can see it in verse 29 and 30. Verses 29 and 30 lift up this greatest security that you have in how God solved your biggest problem. I want to give you a word picture that I hope will stick with you. 
And to do that, I've got to tell you a short little story. But it has a purpose. So I'll tie it together. Over 10 years ago now, 10 years ago now, a little, little more than 10, I came home from teaching at a men's retreat in New York City. And I drug my luggage up at the top of the stairs. And before I even went to the bedroom and unloaded anything like that, kissed Vicky, hugged all the kids, because they were young enough then that they actually came and, and were excited. So there was nobody still in their bedroom or with their back turned to the computer. It's like, wow, it was a good day. It was sweet. That's still when they all, daddy, daddy. So I've greeted the family, hugged everybody. And I said, you know what? Just gather in the living room. I want to talk to all of you. Because I just got an idea. I heard this shared by Pastor C.J. Mahaney. That when he went away to teach, he decided one time when he came home. And you get a love offering usually as a pastor, teacher. He decided to share that love offering with his family. And thank them for being his family. Thank his wife for being his wife and his kids for being his kids. That he was away from them. It's hard when dad's out of the home. And so thank you for being my family and allowing me to do ministry the way I do. I thought, I'm going to do that next time I get a love offering. I was all excited. I think I ran by the bank to make sure I had denominations, the right kind of bills. At the time, the kids, we have five kids, were ages 13 down to four. So Lauren, my oldest, was 13. Sarah Grace, my youngest, was four. So I lined them up on the couch and said, thank you for being my kids and my family and I love you. And and I started handing out money based on age. So I gave the first oldest kids, Lauren and Harrison, a crisp $50 bill. That didn't happen in our house ever. And I think I gave Kelly a 20 and I gave Garrett a 10 and I gave little Sarah Grace four ones because she was four. And as much as I thought the older kids would be blown away by the 50s and I think they were grateful... It was little Sarah Grace that was just like beside herself. Because in her mind, all she knew is everybody else got one, I got four. <laughs> Whatever just went down, I got four times as much as they did. That, that was the deal. Everyone else just went their merry way, but she was like white on rice on me. She just followed me around and she was talking nonstop, just chattering. Wherever I went. And I was putting things away. Oh, and she was so excited. She had those four ones clutched in her fat little hand. I was putting my razor, shaver away in the bathroom. And she was right there in the doorway. And she said, you could tell she just couldn't imagine how she's even going to begin to spend this much money. But she says to me, I'm going to buy some more bracelets. And so I turned and I looked at her and I said, ooh, that sounds good. So you're going to get some more jewelry, huh? I still remember her little eyes just lit up and her cheeks pushed up, making her eyes like a little squints. And her free hand, she tossed her hair back and said, yes, because jewelry I do not have enough of. (laughs) And that moment I knew, because nothing's changed. She is such a little woman. I mean, what woman would ever say, enough, stop. I got all the accessories and bling that I ever need for the rest of my life. No, 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 no. And here's why I tell you this. In the midst of your Motel 6 life, your bridegroom has already given you an amazing piece of jewelry. It's not like coming. You got it now. Look at it again in verse 30. That's where it sparkles. It's a golden chain with some diamonds that pop on it. Verse 30 of Romans. And let me find it because I'm in 2 Corinthians 4. Moreover, Whom he predestined. There's the first link in this golden chain. Get this. God chose you. Now just let that sink in. I don't know about you. Most of my life. 
I was never chosen. Not for kickball, not for anything. I was spat upon, mocked. I'm okay. I've had years of therapy. I'm doing okay now. But seriously, my home was a loving home and my parents told me that I loved me, but I was so skinny, so quiet, and I got beat up. Those of you that are bullies, shame on you. I was that person, beat up all the time, harassed to no end, never chosen. Some of you, it might still be that way in your life. Maybe you're single and you think, will there ever be a man who would choose me, ask me? Or you're a guy and you think, will there ever be a woman who would say yes? Whatever it is in your life, you may feel like I've been passed by. I'm never chosen. Listen to me. If you're a Christian, God chose you. You've got a lover, a bridegroom, Jesus Christ. He loves you right now. He sings over you right now. He delights in you right now. Look at the second link. Whom he predestined, these he also called. He calls you by name. He doesn't save people in general, in mass. I think I'll save some Americans, some Chinese, some Japanese. The Bible tells us he calls you by name. And Psalm 139 says, his thoughts towards you are more numerous than the sands of the sea. That's a lot of thoughts. He loves you. He thinks about you. He knows your name. Whom he predestined, he chose you. These he called, whom he called, these he justified. Your sin's been wiped out forever and the righteousness of Christ has been given to you forever so that when God looks at you, he sees the perfect obedience of his son. And then notice this string, this chain. It's all stated in the past tense. Did you pick up on that? Whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. Wait a minute. One of those things hadn't happened yet, right? Are we glorified? It's stated in the past tense because when God starts something, he finishes it. It's as good as done. There's security. You cannot lose your salvation And he's going to stay with you in this Motel 6 life and finish what he started. He's for you. If God is for us, who can be against us? And when Satan comes and and condemns and accuses you, you say, you know what? Christ died. That's how the Romans 8, he answers. Christ died, furthermore is risen, and also is at the right hand of God making intercession for me, Satan. That's my answer to the accusations. Look at you, look at you, look at you. You call yourself a Christian. Yeah, I'm pathetic. I'm a wretch. That's why I can say, just like John Newton sang, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. Oh no, I don't deserve it. But God's gonna finish what he started and he keeps me and he loves me. Let me ask you as we close. Of these four reminders from Romans 8, which one's been off your radar for too long now? And you've been so focused on the trials and the difficulties or the busyness of life, fears, worries, anxieties, I don't know. Which do you need to be reminded of and focus on again? And I'm going to give you some homework. Here's what I want you to do. On your outline, there should be a post-it note, yellow post-it note. I want you to take that and I want you to write on that post-it note the one that you think you most need to be reminded of again and to come back to and to think of and to bring into view in the middle of some Motel 6 moments at work with the kids, in the home, in your marriage, wherever it is. Stick it on the mirror in your bathroom. Stick it on the edge of your computer screen. Stick it on the dashboard of of your car. I don't care. Put it somewhere where you will see this over the next 30, 60, 90 days. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yeah, I don't fight alone. Oh, yeah, my adoption papers supersede my birth certificate. Oh, yeah. What does God want you to remember? What does he want to be stuck on your heart in the midst of a Motel 6 world? Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for revealing us to things that we would never figure out on our own. And thank you for framing this life right now against eternity and glory to come so that we can have hope, so that we can persevere. And it's more than just you pointing us somewhere. You've given us the Holy Spirit living in us to empower us, to think differently, to please you, to have resources way beyond our own strength. And then to groan through us directly to the throne of grace. Oh God, forgive us for acting like we're orphans. Forgive us for acting like you've done nothing. Forgive us for acting like nothing's changed. And thank you for Romans 8. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.